Um, you know, many of us this time of year, uh, we find ourselves in somewhat of a dilemma. You know, it, it may not happen to us every year, but most of us probably at some point or another struggle with the question of, is it proper etiquette to re-gift, right? I mean, this is the time of the year we really think about that, isn't it? You know, we, we struggle with this issue of re-gifting. You know, we're going through the Christmas decorations, getting them out of the boxes, and we come across that, that perfectly good popcorn maker that we got last year. And, and since we already had one, you just never opened it. And you think, is it all right to pass it on to somebody else? You know, or maybe it's that accent piece you got. You know, something that's supposed to go on your end table or on your coffee table or mantle or whatever. And it's, it's really okay, but it just doesn't fit your decor. And you think, well, maybe I can just kind of give, give it on. And, and we wrestle with this issue sometimes of regifting. And I'm sure Miss Manners gets all kinds of letters this time of the year saying, is it okay to regift? You know, and, and I'm absolutely the wrong person to ask that question of. You know, I, I still don't necessarily see the need for napkins. I mean, when you can lick your fingers, well, why do you really need napkins, you know? And, 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 and if God gave you four fingers, they're certainly the best thing to push your peas onto the fork with. So, what do you, you know, anyway, so, so you can tell I'm not the person to answer that question. But I can tell you this. At the heart and soul of how Christmas becomes a, lo- a world-changing experience is regifting. When God designed Christmas in the first place, and sent his son into the world, and the way that Jesus lived his life, and the way he commissioned his disciples, he intended for us to re-gift. So the heart and soul of the power of the Christmas event, the, the coming of Christ into the world to, to redeem the world, the heart and soul of that power lies in re-gifting the, live of, the love of God. I, I want to just use a, a very simple passage out of John chapter 12. I, I'd love for you to reach, in your, reach either in the chair in front of you or reach for your own Bible and turn with me to to uh, John chapter 15. And I'm going to do something I usually don't do this morning. I'm going to kind of reach into this passage. This is a, a, a embedded in the midst of a, a long teaching passage where Jesus is speaking to his disciples during the final night of his earthly life. He's, he's going to celebrate the Lord's Supper with them. In John's experience, he, does the foot wa- he, he gives us the account of the foot washing experience and he's, he's teaching them about his relationship with them and what's going to happen next and how they can have power and all these kinds of wonderful things. And it's, and it's deep, deep teaching, but embedded in the midst of the midst of this text is just a, a great word about God's intent for you and I to re-gift the love of God. Look at verse 9 of chapter 15 with me. Now, Jesus is, this is Jesus speaking. Some of you have letter, the words in red of Jesus speaking. He says, as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. So Jesus was the original re-gifter, right? God had loved him. The Father had loved him. He said, in the exact same way, I have loved you. I've turned it around and re-gifted it to you. I, I didn't have to take it out of the closet because it was right out there all the time to be used, but I repackaged it and I've given it on to you. Look down just a little bit further. Verse 12. This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. So his instruction to us, the original re-gifter of the love of God, is that all of us who have experienced that love are supposed to re-gift it to somebody else, right? Now, that, that, that's entirely in keeping with everything that Jesus is teaching in this lengthy passage in the upper room as he spends that final night with the life of his disciples. But in the midst of that, he says, you guys, understand, the Father has loved me, but I haven't kept that to myself. I've taken that wonderful gift and I've turned it around and I've given it to you. And then he says, and as I have loved you, I want you to turn it around and give it to somebody else. And, and if you get nothing else out of this morning's message, I want to simply challenge you to be a re-gifter of the love of God. What more appropriate thing for us 
in the Christmas season to say, you know what? I have a, a sacred obligation to take this great gift of the love of God and just pass it along to somebody else. I mean, it, it fits in perfectly with our, our understanding that one of the ways that God always changes the world is for his people to reach other people in the name of Christ. And so hanging out in our banners out there in our lobby is a constant reminder to us that the way that we're seeking to add to our faith as a congregation to be an instrument that God can use to change the world is to reach at least one other person through every life that's a part of Hope Chapel. Just to reach others in the name of Christ. Jesus says it, the way I've loved you, I want you to turn around and love somebody else. Reach out, re-gift it. Now, I felt compelled just to recall some basics about the love of God. These are maybe are some things that really should be able just to kind of go without saying, but I think we need to say them anyways. And, and the first thing is, it's really hard to give a gift to somebody else. Let me put it this way. It's really hard to re-gift a gift to somebody else if you never received a gift in the first place, right? It's really hard to pass on the love of God to somebody else if you've never experienced the love of God in your own life. And, and this may be a very sobering thought for many of us, but most of us would say, we re- I really struggle with giving my faith away. I really struggle with, with, with sharing the love of God with other people. And some of us need to really maybe pause and say, boy, does that maybe communicate to me that I never received it in the first place? That I don't really have a faith in God. If it's so terrifying to me and it's so out of mind that I never think of it to give my faith away, then maybe it's a word to us that I don't have a faith because it's really hard to give away that which you don't have. Now, I want to be very clear about how it is that we come to experience the love of God in our lives. Because I do think there's a, a lot of confusion even in the churches that claim to be proclaimers of the word, what it, what it really means to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, what it means to be born again, what does it mean to be redeemed, to be brought from death to life? I mean, there, you know, and because there's lots of different ways. And, and, and one of the things I often hear is, is this, well, you know, I've always believed in God. And what triggers in my mind is a student of the word and somebody who cares about people and cares about the eternal destiny. When somebody tells me I've always believed in God, I think to myself, they don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because that's always personal and intentional. Somehow or another, even if we can't point to a particular moment, a particular day, where we, there, there, we, there is an awareness that goes with understanding there was a point in time in my life that I came under the conviction of my need for God. And I specifically remember confessing my sin to God. And, and, and whatever words I used, inviting God to be a part of my life. It was a choice. It was a decision. It was an event. You see, the way that God had loved the world was that he gave. And he gave his son. And his son turned around and gave himself as a ransom for many. You know, what God was doing in, in, in Christmas, the way that you and I come to experience this gift of God's love into our lives, is by understanding the gospel. And the gospel is that God has intervened in human history to do for us what, that which we could not do for ourselves. When God created the planet and put Adam and Eve on it, his intent was to live in an eternal relationship, an eternal relationship with all of his creation, but especially those who are made in his image. You know, and, and God's, God's intent is for us to, to experience the gift of eternal life. But the reason he intervened in his son was because that all of us had this barrier, this thing that was preventing us from being able to enjoy the purpose of God in our lives, which is to live in a full and abundant relationship now and, and, to, and to be able to live with him for all eternity. And the scripture calls that sin. So for all of sin, then fall short of the wages, uh, fall short of the glory of God. And, and the wages of sin is death. And that's something that, that belongs to all of us. And because of that, God had to intervene if he was going to fulfill his purpose. And because he loved us, he did. And he intervened in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. That was his provision for our need. 
And the scripture tells us that God took him who was just and made him unjust. The, 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 the righteous became unrighteous so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That he died once for all to bring all of us to God. Jesus died what the scriptures calls a sacrificial or an atoning death. We are made up for all of our shortcomings, all of our sin. And in, by our response to God's provision, we can have a relationship with him. We can experience the gift of God's love in our lives. And, and there's probably lots of ways to describe that, but, but it involves repentance. You, you, you and I don't get to, to have God in our lives and not be about change. There has to be a commitment to change. And that's repentance. Say, you know what, God, this is the way I lived, and I don't want to live that way anymore. I want to live this way with you. As Jesus said up here in verse, verse 9, he says, remain in my love. And later he's going to say, this is how you, you remain in my love. You obey my commands. It's a commitment to live differently than we ever have before. And it's also an act of faith. And faith here isn't just kind of a, a, a namby-pamby belief. And you guys have heard me use that ter- kind of term before. Like, well, I have this, this belief in God out there somewhere. Faith is an act of trust. I, I think of it this way. Imagine the biggest chasm on the planet that you can think of. Maybe it goes down 500 feet, and you build a bridge across it, and you're the first one who's going to walk on it. That's trust. That means you actually live your life for God. That's what God wants for us. That's the gift that he's given us in Christmas. That's what all the manger is about. This royal throne that we talked about with this humble wooden manger. It's about you and I receiving the gift of new life in Jesus Christ. And we, can, we cannot give on the love of God if we've never experienced it in our own lives. Now, I know that's pretty basic. And, and, and if, if, you, if you're not certain this morning, you, you don't have to leave here uncertain. Sometimes you come across people, well, you know, I don't know if I did or I didn't when I, back when I was 21 or 11 or 31. You, know, and it, you don't have to leave here uncertain. You can make that commitment. In fact, we have a place where on your card you can check off on the back of those connection cards. We can say, I want to choose to become a follower of Christ today. And we'll follow up with you this, this week and, and make sure that you, you really understand what it means to live in a relationship with God. Now, so first of all, in order to be re-gifters of the love of God, we have to have experienced it. Secondly, we need to understand that a little bit about the nature of the love of God. And, and, and here's something that, that I struggle to appreciate on a daily basis. On a theological level, I can appreciate it. But at a practical level, my everyday life, the love of God is revolutionary. The love of God is radical. The love of God always changes stuff, Right? I mean, Jesus didn't come in the world, into the world and just kind of leave no mark. I mean, he changed the world. The love of God is always about change. You know, in Ephesians 2, we've been studying this passage in my life group, and it, it's come up in several other places and, and uh, in my studies recently. And, you know, and it talks about the impact that the life of Christ had on us. It took those who were dead and made them alive. I call that a pretty big transformation, don't you? He took those who were worldly, who were living here on, in the earth, just dominated by their passions and desires and what they think they needed to survive till tomorrow. And it says that he literally took them and put them at the right hand of Jesus in heaven. I call that a pretty significant change. Took those who were aliens, might even use the word illegal aliens, you know, the, the Gentiles out there, and they literally made them a member of the family of God. I mean, the love of God always changes everything. It's, it's revolutionary. It's, it's, it's radical. Just ask Peter. Just ask Zacchaeus. Just ask Lazarus a few minutes after they tore off the, the tomb clothes that he was wearing. It's rad- it changes stuff. And yet, somehow or another, you and I, we're often, we're often just satisfied to, to taste of the love of God because it helps us through a tough moment. And that's a great thing. But beyond that, just, just little bitty, bitty, teeny baby steps is enough change for us. I mean, a lot of us, it's, it's like, I, I want God in my life because I, I want to keep what I've gotten, 
right? Instead of saying, I want to launch forward into what God has for me. You know, and it's always about revolutionary change. As you, as you and I re-gift the love of God to others, we should expect, be expecting for the love of God to be really changing us. And we should also really expect for things to change around us. You know, and, and that's, we should be able to look back through the, the videotape of our lives over the last six months to a year and say, you know what, that person is really different because I re-gifted God's love to them. You see anybody in your rear view mirror that looks anywhere like that? That's, that's what the nature of the love of God is. Revolutionary changes. The last thing I want you to remember about the basics is that God's love is, is, is both a, a noun and a verb. And, and I think we're often content for it to be a noun. God's love is something I have. But God's love is designed to be something that we do. It's action-oriented. It's something that we give away. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. And, and just inherent in the nature of the love of God that we're trying to re-gift is a giving it. It's active. It's something that happens with it. Jesus said, I came, the Son of Man came to give his life. Give his life as a ransom for many. It's, it's action-oriented. And, and I love the way that, that uh, John began to work this out in his own theology and as God inspired him to pass on eternal truth to us. We, we see this come up in, in his letter in 1 John. And he says that when, when the love of God is active through us, there's a couple of ways that we can see change. Let me, let me just read a couple of verses for you. This is, comes out of 1 John, beginning with verse, verse, chapter 3, verse 16. So that's 1 John 3, 16. This is how we come to know love. He laid his life down for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need but shuts off his compassion from him, how can God's love reside in him? Little children, we must not love in word or in, or in speech, but in deed and in truth. And we could go on because it's just a, a great passage. But he said, you know, God, God's given us this love. Jesus has, has come into our lives. He said, and with that, there, in this re-gifting aspect of it, we should be giving that love away to others. And he, and he mentions a couple of things in here related to our response to what we see going on in the world around us. And see, th- this, is one, I, and this is kind of where I'm going with this. I mean, most of us sitting in here would say, you know, I love God. And I love other people because I love God. But what are some things that would tell us that we're really loving God the way that we're supposed to, in the sense of the way that we love other people. And he gives us a couple of things here. You can, we can look through our lives, and, and, and I'm just going to use two things here. It says one of the ways that you can tell that you are actively loving others, you're actively regifting, is you're going to see a change in your conduct. It says, just don't, don't love others just in word, you know, just with the tongue. It says, but love others indeed, in the truth. It, it changes your conduct. It's interesting. If we went back and looked through the, the calendar, our, our calendars that we have over the last 30 to 60 days, how many events could we circle on our personal calendar and say, this was an intentional act to share the love of God with somebody else, to meet the need of somebody else, to, to put conduct to my compassion. See, it's designed to be act- Then he says, you know what? And if you, if you have the world's goods, you've got the means in your hands to make a difference in the life of somebody who's hungry. He says, and you don't do it. So it, let me stay with the C theme. It not only should change our conduct, it should also change the way that we use our currency. It should be reflected in how we use the, 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 the material gifts that God's given to us. It's, it's a powerful word to us, a great challenge. 
He who has the world's good and sees his brother in need and does nothing, how can the love of God be in him, he says. You know, and it's interesting to, for, the, for the church, especially the church in America maybe, just to struggle with which, how much of our income really is flowing out to change the world, to change people's lives one by one. And there's all kinds of great ways to, to give to the kingdom. It, it's not from a shortage of opportunities. But now Jesus in John 15 talks about the fruit that flows from abiding in his love. And I, I just want to give you a few thoughts. And this is kind of a little disjointed from the basics. And now we're moving over to this idea of what, what, what happens when we, we gift the love of God. One of the things that happens is that the unlovely are loved. The unlovely are loved. The amazing thing about the life of Christ was that he loved the unlovely. You know, when, when he's sitting at table with all of the religious bigwigs, and there's a woman of ill repute, who is crying at his feet, he loves the unlovely. When he's standing at the well and the woman of Samaria arrives, he loves the unlovely. When he sees Zacchaeus up in a tree, this hated tax collector, he loves the unlovely. When he looks out over the city of Jerusalem that's about ready to cry out, crucify him, crucify him, he weeps. And he loves the unlovely. When the lepers call to him from a distance, he touches them. He loves the unlovely. Who's the unlovely in your world that you can touch? Some of you in school. Maybe it's the kid in school that nobody likes. There's always one of those, right? Maybe it's the, the beggar in the subway station that you walk by every day on your way to work. Maybe it's the obnoxious neighbor down the street that nobody ever invites to the neighborhood barbecue in the middle of July. Who are the unlovely in our lives that we need to re-gift the love of God to? Not only are the unlovely, unlovely love, but the unforgivable are forgiven. You know, a, a woman caught in adultery was brought before Jesus. And the religious leader says, well, the law says she's supposed to be executed by stoning. And Jesus begins to write on the ground. And then he says, those of you who are without sin, throw the first stone. And one by one, they drop their stones and they leave. And then what does Jesus say when he looks at this woman? He says, neither do I condemn you. When he hung on the cross and he cried out over the city, you know, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Forgiving the unforgivable. I think one of the, the greatest challenges for many of us is to forgive people who have deeply hurt us, whether it be a colleague, whether it be a friend, whether it be a family member. And we hold on to this unforgiveness. And we say, well, they don't deserve it. Well, neither did we when Jesus was born in a manger. And the love of God has this fruit in our lives of giving us the ability to, un, to, to forgive the unforgivable. And the down and out are lifted up. You know, Matthew 25 is such a great passage of Scripture. And you can maybe make a note, you know, on your outlines of Matthew 25, verses 34 and following. You know, Jesus says, he's greeting people in in the story as they're getting ready to enter into heaven at the end of time. He he says, you know, come on in, well done kind of idea. And he says, you know, I was hungry and you fed me. And I I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you cared for me. Prisoners were visited. You know, the, the, the part of the outflowing of the love of God through us is to help those who are not in a position to help themselves. And, and, it, and it's a powerful kind of thing. It's part of our mission in life to make a difference in the lives of those who are down and out. Lastly, one of the fruits that comes from regifting the love of God that we see in Christmas is that the redeemed share their faith with the unredeemed. 
You know, Jesus says, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the, the uttermost parts of the earth. You know, we've been encouraging you over these last few weeks to, to be praying for people that you could invite to our Christmas Eve service or to come to a service with you or an opportunity for you to share your faith with them. It's been a challenge since, you know, we launched Add One, you know, with people reaching out in the name of Christ. Numbers of you have joined together with us and, and praying that God would see 52 souls come to know Christ this year as a result of Hope Chapel's ministry. You know, there's, there's just all kinds of challenges out there for us. But part of the fruit of it is that, that we literally give away our faith. What a great word for Christmas. You know, if you and I really want to change the, the experience of Christmas for ourselves, if we want to join in this Advent conspiracy, is to be great regifters of the love of God. You know, Jesus said, freely you have received, freely give. Let's pray together. God, thanks for your word today. We pray that every week. It's a challenging, humbling, inspiring kind of word. God, in the midst of all of this is just this almost indescribable gift of your love that we see in Jesus Christ. His giving of himself and giving up the riches of heaven that he might become poor for us. That through his poverty we might become rich. And in that riches become great givers. We gifters of the love of God. God, we know today that you loved your son, Jesus Christ. We know that your son loved us. And Father, we seek now to love one another. Freely we have received. We seek to freely give. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.